Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Dilip Jesty will join us to discuss Wiser. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, what exactly is wisdom and what are the foundations of it in the brain? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Dilip Jesty. Dr. Jesty is Senior Associate Dean for Healthy Aging and Senior Care, Professor of Psychiatry and Neurosciences, and Director of the Center for Healthy Aging at UC San Diego. He is past president of the American Psychiatric Association. Dr. Jesty has spent more than 20 years studying aspects of healthy aging and the neurobiological roots of wisdom. Dr. Justin, together with Scott Lafee, has penned the new book, Wiser, The Scientific Roots of Wisdom, Compassion, and What Makes Us Good. Dr. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be on this show. It's certainly a fascinating book you've put together here, Wiser, in which you explore the scientific roots of wisdom, compassion, and what makes us good. Why decide to put this book together? So I'm a geriatric neuropsychiatrist. When I first decided to go into geriatric psychiatry. Several of my colleagues said, why are you doing that? Studying geriatrics is all gloom and doom. It will be depressing because the only thing that happens with aging is that the brain shrinks, we develop diseases, disabilities, and there is decline. I didn't actually agree with that because in my own research work, my clinical experience, and in general in the society, I found that there were older people, even in their 80s and 90s, who were functioning at a very high level. And I wondered if there are things that get better with aging. So some years ago, we started a Center for Healthy Aging at University of California, San Diego. The purpose of the center was to study things that improve with aging. Most of the research on aging focuses on diseases of aging. So we thought it was important to look at the other side. And one thing that struck me as possibly being associated with increased aging is wisdom. Because I come from India, and many Eastern cultures believe that older people are wiser. Is that true? So I thought that this is something that needed to be studied scientifically. But when I first broached that topic, some of my friends said that wisdom is really not a scientific construct. It is a philosophical and religious entity, not scientific. I took that on as a challenge. And so for the last 20 years, we have been studying wisdom, what it means, how we measure it, where in the brain it is based, how can we increase it. And after writing multiple papers for uh, different journals for my colleagues, I thought it was time to talk about wisdom with the general public, especially because I find that our society in the last several years has become increasingly stressed out. It has become increasingly lonely. 
so much so that the suicides are increasing, opioid-related deaths are increasing. And I believe that this is a kind of a behavioral pandemic that is occurring. It's not pandemic of infection like COVID or flu, smallpox, cholera. It is a behavioral pandemic caused by certain social behavior, and that needs to change. And I felt that wisdom might be the antidote or vaccine for that kind of behavioral pandemic. And that's why I decided to write a book for the general public. What is wisdom? How do you define it scientifically? So what we did was we wanted to look at the entire literature that had tried to define wisdom. And in a way, the literature starts in antiquity. Most of the scripture, as well as most of the older philosophy, talk about wisdom. In the Bible, there are a number of books of wisdom, such as the Book of Job, for example. Similarly, in India, there's the Gita, and other religions also have the books of wisdom. So we looked at how wisdom was defined in at least one scripture using a quantitative, qualitative, mixed-method study. Then we looked at the modern Western literature on wisdom. This literature started around 1970s in Max Planck Institute in Berlin and University of Southern California in Los Angeles. So we looked at all the papers that try to define wisdom and what are the common elements of wisdom. That led us to developing a consensus definition of wisdom. So wisdom is a personality trait, personality trait like resilience, optimism, neuroticism, extroversion. But it is uniquely human. It is associated with greater well-being and happiness, not only for individuals, but for the society. And it includes specific components. So what are the components of wisdom? One, empathy and compassion, things that we do for other people rather than for ourselves selfishly. Second is emotional regulation, control over our emotions. Third is self-reflection, ability to look inward and try to understand our behavior and how we can improve that. Fourth is accepting diversity of perspectives. I may have strong values about something, but I can accept the fact that other people may have different value systems. I don't have to agree with them, but I accept their presence. The next one is something opposite in a way, decisiveness, that you can't sit on the fence because of uncertainty and diversity. You have to be decisive when needed. And finally, spirituality, which is different from religiosity. Spirituality means constant connectedness with someone or something, whether it is God, nature, consciousness, soul, whatever you call it, but you never feel lonely because you're always connected with somebody. So those are the elements of wisdom that we found were common to the modern Western definition and also to the scripture. So are there parts of the brain that mediate these types of aspects of wisdom, and do they change with age in a positive way? Yes. So we wanted to see, because like other personality traits, wisdom is also based in the brain. Most traits are about 50% biologically or genetically determined, and 50% affected by environment and behavior. So the question was, where in the brain is wisdom located? Obviously, brain is a complex computer, and there is no fixed localization, but some regions are more important than others. The regions that we found were involved in different components of wisdom, where prefrontal cortex, 
camp limbic striatum. Prefrontal cortex is the newest part of the brain in evolution. It is what makes us human. And the specific parts of prefrontal cortex that are involved in wisdom are dorsolateral, ventromedial, and anterior cingulate. Limbic striatum, including amygdala, on the other hand, is the oldest part of the brain in evolution. So wisdom, in a way, is a balance between the oldest and the newest parts of the brain. Balance between cognition and emotion. Balance between pro-social behavior that we do for others and self-centered behavior. Do these types of behaviors then correlate throughout the lifespan? An excellent question. The prefrontal cortex structure is not finalized until almost mid-20s or so. So it is not surprising that wisdom would grow in the early part of life. The question then was, actually, how can wisdom increase in older age? Because when I went to medical school, I was taught that the only thing that happens to brain with aging is that it shrinks. It loses neurons, synapses, blood vessels, and it becomes smaller. And that is true to some extent. However, research in the last 25 years or so has clearly shown something called neuroplasticity of aging. Research has shown that when we keep our brain and body active, being physically active, cognitively active, mentally, socially active, the brain can continue to evolve. Studies have shown that new synapses are formed, even new neurons are formed in specific regions of the brain in animals and people who keep themselves active, even in later life. In addition, there are changes that occur in prefrontal cortex as well as amygdala that make it conducive for older people to have components of wisdom like self-reflection, emotional regulation, and positivity. So I do believe that the neurobiology has quite a lot to do with the changes in wisdom that occur over the lifespan. How can we cultivate the growth of these different components as we age? So we know today that if there's damage to these areas, people lose their wisdom. There is a disease called frontotemporal dementia, which is associated by degeneration of the prefrontal cortex and then part of the front part of the temporal lobe. If you look at the symptoms of behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia, that's the exact antithesis of wisdom. There are famous cases like Phineas Cage in the literature where people went from being wise to unwise as a result of brain injury to those regions. The question then is, can we increase wisdom by stimulating those areas? Theoretical answer is yes. However, I don't think the neuroscience has advanced enough today to prove that in a very specific localized manner. But I expect that in another 15, 20 years, we will be able to do that. In the meantime, though, there are psychosocial and behavioral interventions that can stimulate specific parts of the brain and increase the levels of competence of wisdom. Studies have shown, for example, that things like meditation, mindfulness, they have structural effect on the brain. They can increase the integrity of the white matter. They can increase the volume of gray matter, so on and so forth. So psychosocial interventions are almost as biological as a biological intervention. And so in our book, we describe the various interventions that are possible for increasing levels of emotional regulation, empathy, compassion, 
self-reflection, and so on. If you can give some examples of those types of interventions. There are actually a number of randomized controlled trials published in the literature that show that some of these interventions work with large effect sizes. To give you an example of an intervention to increase empathy and compassion. So these interventions have multiple elements within that. One element is having what is called a gratitude diary or a journal. So before you go to bed, write a couple of things that made you feel grateful that day, that people came and helped you when you didn't expect them to. When you do that again and again over days and weeks, you get up think that how lucky I am that there are people out there who actually help me. And so it is time for me to help them. So then you can start writing some random acts of kindness that you perform. And so that then becomes a second nature. So that's one thing. Another thing is try to put yourself in the shoes of people who have disability. For example, if I put myself in a wheelchair and stay in a wheelchair for, say, 48 hours, I will know what a wheelchair person goes through. And I will start looking at him or her differently from that point on because I have understanding of the stresses that that person has. Same thing with blindness, deafness. So you can experience those yourself. You can also read books and see movies where this is demonstrated. So there are ways in which you can cultivate empathy and compassion but the main thing is to make it a second nature. It should happen a habit. Then only it will continue and will change your level of wisdom. If you look across the globe, are there certain types of societies that value the acquisition of wisdom or types of behaviors that promote wisdom? There are differences across the globe. I think there are clearly differences. And the societies that promote meditation, mindfulness, some detachment from the materialistic rewards, more pro-social behavior, large families. I think those are conducive to increasing wisdom because there, older people have opportunity to transmit their wisdom to the younger generation. And at the same time, the younger generations bring excitement, energy, curiosity, and make older people happy. So these kind of intergenerational activities are critical. And societies that promote intergenerational activities are more likely to be wiser. But this is something that really needs to happen in our society too. What we find that in the last two decades or so, incidence of loneliness has doubled. Suicides have increased in the U.S. by 33% in just 20 years. Deaths from opioid use have increased six-fold. And as a result of this, Average longevity in the U.S. fell for the first time since World War II in 2015, 16, and 17. Just imagine that. And it was not because of some new cancer or stroke or heart disease. It was because of increase in loneliness, suicide, opioid use, and so on. So there is a really need for the society to start making some changes because we have become so polarized, so stressed out, so angry, that's not conducive to happiness or longevity. A growing wisdom in society, and your book closes on that, is moving from individual to societal wisdom. How do you see that happening? I think what needs to happen is our education system needs to change. And it needs to change from kindergarten 
including the professional schools, medical school, engineering, law school. But what I find is that our society focuses so much on hard skills, reading, writing, arithmetic, or in medical school, how to be the best diagnostician and therapist, uh, same thing with engineering and law school. And we also have classes in the school for physical activity, art. We also know sex education. I think this is all great. But what about teaching soft skills to people and children? What about teaching empathy, compassion, emotional regulation, self-reflection? These are the things that are needed for succeeding in life, for being happy, for thriving and flourishing. We don't teach those skills. And that is why the level of stress, anxiety, and suicide has been growing, especially in younger people. So I really think this is a crisis that is occurring over the last couple of decades, partly because of increased competition, partly because of rapid growth of technology, so that there is overwhelming of overwhelming information that we can't keep track of. And again, both globalization and technology are good, but they also have downsides. So we really need to do something by changing our education system, starting at the kindergarten level and going all the way through professional schools, business schools, and so on. Actually, it's beginning to happen in certain, in medical school, for example. There is clear evidence that suicides are increased among college students and medical students especially. So number of schools now are beginning to have wellness clinic, well-being clinic. There are courses beginning to be taught on compassion. Compassion training is no longer a word that is only used in philosophy or ethics. I mean, I feel optimistic because think about this, that things like meditation and mindfulness. 20 years ago, people would have dismissed them as non-scientific. Today, NIH funds grant on meditation and mindfulness. Papers on them showing how they affect the brain are being published in major journals. So they have become parts of the scientific culture and increasingly society at large. So I do feel optimistic that this will happen. Obviously, it will take time. But one of the reasons for our book is really to increase the awareness of the public because that's where things need to change. The public needs to appreciate that because it is good for the society. If maybe you have some final words regarding the book, wisdom, and people are interested in learning more, where can they go? So there's a website, wiserthebook.com, and people can get the book uh, on Amazon, Barnes Noble, and any other major book stores. But what the book has also is a scale for measuring wisdom. So you can test your own wisdom. This is a scale we developed called San Diego Wisdom Scale or the Jesse Thomas Wisdom Index. If you take it, it takes only about five minutes. You can get your scores for each of the components of wisdom because all of us have strengths and limitations. So you can find out where you need help and then try to get interventions that would help those particular aspects. So the goal is to really, for all of us and the society as a whole, to become wiser. We were just talking with Dr. Dilip Jesty, author of the new book, Wiser, The Scientific Roots of Wisdom, Compassion, and What Makes Us Good. Dr. Jesty, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. 
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.